thanks to Larry who uh, preached uh, last week, but it's good to be back with you guys this morning. Good to start the new year with you, and uh, we're starting the new year with a new sermon series today. We're looking at the book of Titus, and for those of you who have been around a little while, I think it was probably uh, 2019 we went through the book of Titus then, and so for some of you, you might be thinking, didn't we just do that? Um, and uh, that wasn't too terribly long ago, but I'll tell you, as I was uh, just getting ready for the new year and praying about where God would have us to be, uh, I just kept coming back again and again and again to the book of Titus. So my prayer is uh, and has been that that was the Holy Spirit, and this is going to be a really good sermon series for us. I think in part there are, I know, God wants to remind us of a lot of things and teach us a lot of things, but some of the things that came to mind as I was just processing, like why, um, God, this might be good for us. One is just the reminder of the centrality of the gospel in, in everything, really. Um, the centrality of the gospel in all that the church is and in all that the church does. And even in how, right, the gospel lies behind those things uh, and tells us even how uh, some of the things that we do should, should be done. Um, it's also a, a great reminder of God's incredible provision for the church. And I don't just mean his provision in Jesus, right, that is the gospel, but I mean his provision in, in one another. God has provided for you and the people around you this morning and people who aren't here this morning. And God has provided for us in you. Uh, we are a part of God's provision for one another. And so um, this is a great reminder. This book is a great reminder of that. The church isn't just a, a bunch of random people who gather together. Or, or let me say that differently. The church should not be just a group of random people who gather together on a Sunday morning because they, they like the kids' ministry or they like the, the band and the music or the building and location. The church is just so much more than that. And God has blessed us as a church in, in the gift that he gives to us of one another. God has beautifully, beautifully brought together for his glory and his purposes us. He's brought us together for one another and the good of one another. At the heart of all of that is the gospel, and I think we'll see that as we go through uh, the book of Titus together. It's through this good news, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus um, that we see God working and shaping, working and shaping us in our individual lives and working to shape us as the church, New City Church. Um, it, we, we say here a lot, and, and Larry just gave you an announcement about Jeff Vanderstelt coming, and Jeff is uh, the author of uh, a book that we talk about a lot, Gospel Fluency, um, and we talk about gospel fluency a lot here, how the gospel changes everything in, in our life. Um, we're going to see, I hope this morning in, in the introduction, a, a little bit of that, but I think we see clearly in the pages of Titus how the gospel changes everything. So I'm excited um, to get started with you guys in the book of, of Titus. Um, let's read. We're just going to cover the introduction this morning, verses 1 through 4. Should have those on the screen, but Titus 1, 1 through 4, if you want to turn there in your Bible, let's read and get started. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. So let's start with this as we go through the book of Titus together. Um, Titus is really a letter. We call it a book. It's a book of the Bible, but really, Titus is a, a letter. Um, 
a letter that Paul, as we see in that introduction, the Apostle Paul, was writing to his friend Titus, his friend and, and, and someone that he shared life with and shared faith with. So Titus, let's talk just a minute about who Titus was. Titus was someone who did travel with Paul in his missionary journeys. Um, he evangelized with Paul as they traveled from city to city um, on their missionary journeys. He discipled people and he helped plant churches. And he helped churches that had been planted to be what they should be. So really what he was is, is not a, a pastor as much as an apostolic representative. That's what we would call him. He represented the apostle Paul while he was with this church in Crete. Paul had left him there as his representative to help with the church in Crete. So he, 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 Paul has this authority, he's writing to Titus, who also has authority there in the church. Now Paul has heard what's happening in Crete, and he's writing this letter to Titus to encourage Titus, and to encourage Titus in what he's teaching in the church, and how it is that he's leading the church. But the letter itself was not a letter that was written just to Titus. It was a letter that, that was written to Titus, but it was supposed to be read aloud to the, whole, to the whole church. So I imagine the church, when Paul's letter came and Titus read it, um, he, he, he sent word out to the church that this letter had been received, and the church would all gather together, much like we're gathered together today, the church would all gather together to hear this letter from, from Paul. So it was instruction to Titus, but, but through Titus, it was instruction to the whole church. So Titus, Titus, someone who traveled with Paul, Titus, a friend of Paul, someone who did life with Paul, an apostolic representative who had authority in the church in Crete. Now let me, let me give you a little bit of information on Crete, um, this, this island uh, uh, made up of several towns. So Crete was a very, very old, uh, long populated island. Uh, it, it had been populated for maybe 2,700 years. 2,700 years people had lived there. That's a long, long time on this island. Uh, spread over the island, there were numerous towns and cities, some very small, some very large for, for that time. Um, the, the influence there was Minoan, going back to the Minoan Empire 2,700 years earlier. The Greeks had inhabited, the Romans now inhabited. So this island had a long history of, of, of diversity, people from all over the world who had lived there. Um, that meant that, that on the island there was the worship of all kinds of gods. Greek gods were worshipped, maybe even the old Minoan gods, Greek gods, Roman gods and goddesses, and there was also emperor worship uh, there on the, that was planned, y'all, <laughs> just to keep your attention. Um, so there was all of this religious um, diversity there on the island. There was also uh, a lot of cultural diversity there on the island. And then you add to that um, the, the, the Jewish population that lived on the island as well. Right, So you have all of these foreign false gods. You have the Jews who worship God but didn't believe in Jesus. And then you add to that mix now Christianity. Christianity is a part of the island. At this point, Christianity was, was very, very young in Crete. The church was probably only a few years old, at best. At best, only a few years old. Um, now, when I say, like, this was a new church and a church plant on this island, if you were familiar with church planting at all in the world today, usually a church plant team goes somewhere, and they've been Christians for a long, long time, and they know a lot, and they're well-studied, and they're well-prepared. That's not the case here. This was a church that sprung up in this mostly pagan and Jewish culture of new believers who lived there on the island. And they were all new believers. So they, they had um, this, this pull against them of Judaism. They had this pull against them of paganism. And this was where they came from. 
They didn't grow up in a Christian household. They had not been Christian. They had not been Christian all of their lives. They, they didn't know all of the stuff that most of us have grown up with, that most of us have heard about all of our life, whether we believe it or not. They didn't have any of that. Very, very young Christianity. So as we go through this letter together, there will be times when I'll remind you of that because what happens is we tend to look at a letter like this in our own context, right? So when we talk, we'll talk about elders, for example, and qualifications for elder. Man, their qualifications would be the same as our qualifications, but they don't necessarily mean the same thing because all of these Christians were brand new. So I'll remind you, I'll remind you uh, of, of that context. In some ways, their context should remind us of our own context, right? Because we live in, in, a, in a very diverse culture, and, and our culture is growing more and more and more diverse. You know, it used to be that Christianity was everybody's religion, whether they believed it or not. That's not the case anymore. More and more and more, our world is becoming what, what we would refer to here as pagan. More and more and more, the world is less and less and less Christian for us. And because of that, there is a constant pull, like there was for them, there is a constant pull for us away from the truth of Scripture, away from the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, away from a constant pull, away from walking with him. So our culture is pulling us away, other religions are pulling us away, just as it was in Crete. Now, one more thing um, that I want to say is just how, how important this letter would have been for them, right? And so, just I, I, as we go through the letter, remind yourself of that. They didn't get letters like we get letters. I mean, we walk around with, with, paper and stuff on our phones this that's not the world that they lived in so when this letter came and they gathered together to read this letter or to hear this letter read to them it was huge it was incredibly important to them a really 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 big deal so our verses this morning as I've said this is the greeting to the letter or the introduction to this letter from from Paul. And as in most um, letters and, and, and introductions to the letter, uh, the, the, the writer of the letter would, would talk about why he was sending the letter, right? From Paul to Titus, here's the purpose behind this letter. So let's talk about the purpose and begin to dig into what Paul is saying. On the surface, looks like an introduction like most introductions, but there is a lot, lot more. Paul couches the purpose of this letter in his ultimate calling from God. So this isn't just a letter to Titus, and it's not just a letter to this church. This is all a part of God's call on Paul's life. So listen for that as I read this. Again, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the fate of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus. My true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. So Paul is writing, he says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Don't get caught up on that word elect there. Paul is really referring or referencing that he is writing to believers. He is writing to the church. He's writing to those who love and follow Jesus. This letter, he says, is for the sake of the church. This is for uh, the sake of your faith, he says, and knowledge of the truth, church. Here is the purpose behind this letter, why I'm writing it. I am writing it for, for your faith and your knowledge of the truth. Now, bear with me because I want to unpack that a little bit because it's, it, it, is, it is full. 
um, faith and knowledge are not the same. I think this is important. Faith and knowledge are not the same. When the Bible talks about faith, faith is a sure and certain belief. We, we are sure about something. We are certain about, about that thing. It, it is trusting in something or in someone. We have a, a confidence in something or someone who has yet to fully perform. So we believe them or we believe that, we trust in that. Knowledge is more of a, of a, of a head thing. It's a familiarity um, with, 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 with knowledge. It, knowledge is, is a familiarity with information. So we are familiar with information. It's not necessarily that we, we trust it, we just know it. Faith means that we, we, we trust it, we believe it. It's ours. See, it is possible for us to, to know lots and lots of things in our head. It is possible for us to know lots and lots of things about Jesus. It is possible for us to know all of the stories of Jesus. It's possible for us to know all of the, 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 the information that is contained in the gospel and not believe it. We can, we can give mental assent to, to say, yes, this is who the Bible says that Jesus is. Yes, and, and we can say in our own language, we would say, I believe that's who Jesus is. Because we give mental assent to it. But, but faith is different than mental assent. Faith isn't knowing that Jesus is this person or that Jesus does these things. Faith is, I believe that. Faith is, I trust that. I trust that. I trust that. I hold that tightly. Faith and knowledge are not the same. Now, here's another one. Not all knowledge is the same. So when we read through here, not all knowledge is the same. In the Greek, where this was written in originally, um, particularly Paul. Paul uses, there are different words for knowledge. There is gnosko knowledge and epigonosko knowledge, right? And so um, Paul uses those two words very differently. Gnosko knowledge is, is that knowledge of facts and information. Gnosko knowledge for Paul was something that we know in our head, something that we have, have knowledge of, we are familiar of, we know about it. That's gnosko knowledge. Epigonosko knowledge is, is different, and that's what Paul uses here is epigonosko knowledge. Epigonosko knowledge is a relational knowledge. It is, it, is, it is the way that a husband knows his wife in biblical terms. You guys know what I mean, right? Yes? Okay, thank you. I didn't want to have to explain that one. <laughs> Whew. It, it is knowing intimately and personally. And that's what Paul is talking about with, with, with epigonosco knowledge. To know someone or to know something deeply, intimately, personally, relationally. So not all knowledge is the same. And knowledge is different from faith. And when it comes to the word truth, I want to talk about that as well because Paul has in mind here in these verses a very particular truth. Sometimes when we read the Bible and we see the truth, oftentimes we'll think that the writer is talking about the Bible, right? Because the Bible is true and it is the word of God. And so, oh, oh, he must be talking about the Bible, the do's and don'ts, how we should live our life, the truth about all things in general, but that is not what Paul has in mind. Paul has in mind here a very particular truth. What Paul has in mind is the truth of the gospel. That is the truth that he is talking about here. The truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in the good news of the gospel. That is Paul's focus when he uses the truth here. What Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrection. Living the life that we could not live. Perfect, holy, righteous, pure. Dying the death that we deserve because of our sin. We all deserve death. The wages of sin is death. 
God did not create us for that, but we sinned. And the wages of sin is death. Jesus died the death that we deserve, paying the price for us. The good news of the gospel is that on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, defeating death and sin, and ultimately Satan. And when we believe, when we trust in him, when we place our faith in his works and, and, and his work instead of our own, then the good news is that we are forgiven of our sin. We are redeemed from sin. We, we, our price, that penalty, is paid by Jesus through our faith. And in addition to that, the very righteousness that is required of us to be children of God and to be in his presence forevermore, Jesus gives to us through faith, imputing, granting his righteousness to me through faith, to you, through faith, to anyone who believes as if we ourselves were righteous. Isn't that beautiful? That's why we call it the good news. Because Jesus has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the truth. This is the truth that Paul had in mind when he said that he wants them to know the truth. This is the truth that Paul had in mind. We are made, we are made children of God. We are made heirs and co-heirs with Jesus himself. We are placed in the hand of God sealed there until the day of our final redemption, protected, his, marked forever and ever and ever. That is the gospel. That is the good news that Paul wanted to make sure that the church was rooted in. So Paul is writing to the church of Crete. He's writing for the sake of their faith, he says, and their intimate and personal knowledge of the truth of the gospel. I know it's a lot, isn't it? Are you with me? This is why he is writing. So, so one more thing that I want to share with you. Your is plural. So um, our Western culture is very, that's us, Western culture, where, where we grew up, where we live. Our Western culture is very self-centered. Every one of us, very self-centered, and we don't even know it. We don't know how self-centered we are. Some of us have a hint, but, but, but it's our culture. We are very, very focused on ourselves. We are independent, we are individuals, and we value that, right? And, and, and so oftentimes when, when, we, when we read something like this, we immediately go to ourselves, like, like Paul is just talking to you. And oftentimes we ask the question, and we should, but we shouldn't stop and this be the only question, what does this mean to me? What does this say about me? How is this about me? Me, me, me. Listen to me. Paul's desire is bigger than you. Don't mean to bust your bubble today. Paul's desire and Paul's vision is much bigger than just you, much bigger than just me. Yes, you matter. I don't want you to think I'm saying that you don't. You matter and all of us matter as individuals, but there is just more to it than that. You, you are a part of something bigger, much bigger. And that's what Paul sees, and that's what Paul knows. And, and Paul understands that this is bigger than just the singular you. This is, this is y'all. That's what he's saying. If he could say that. He's using the Greek word for y'all. Paul is, is saying, I, I, am, I am writing this letter to strengthen y'all's faith. Y yes, your faith, but y'all's faith. That's why I'm writing this letter, to help, to help the family, to help the family grow in their deep and intimate knowledge of the truth of the gospel. This is for y'all. This is for the church. So there is a, a, a community nature here to this letter, a, a communal nature to it, and, 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 and really not just this letter, but to the entire New Testament. And the truth is we just, we just miss it because that's not our culture. So I'm going to remind you. I'm going to remind you this morning. I'm going to remind you throughout this letter that that is who Paul was writing to, the church. The church, the people of God together 
in Christ. Something that we call and talk about a lot here is family. Family. One of the identities that is now ours in Christ is that we are family. Now listen, some people will say, oh, that's just a a cute catchphrase that New City Church uses. Listen to me, I'm telling you, it's not. So don't ever say that to me. (laughs) This isn't a cute catchphrase. This is the good news of the gospel. When when Jesus died, when we were redeemed, and, 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 and he gave us this relationship with God, we are called children of God. Every believer is a child of God. And children who share the same father, what are they? Siblings, brothers and sisters, family. The Bible calls us throughout the New Testament the family of God. This isn't a catchphrase. This is our identity in Christ. And this is who Paul is writing to. Paul is writing to the family. So let's, let's keep going. Now, Paul has a result in mind, and we see that um, in, in, in the introduction. We'll see it throughout the letter. Um, what Paul has in mind, his goal is gospel transformation. Paul's goal here is gospel transformation. Listen to the verses again. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Christ Jesus for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. I'm writing to you, church, for the sake of your faith in the gospel and for your knowledge, your deep, intimate, personal knowledge of the truth. What truth? The truth of the gospel, Paul says, which accords with godliness. We don't use that word a lot, accords with, in our normal day-to-day language. But what Paul is saying is what, 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 what agrees with godliness or really the idea is um, the truth that leads to or produces in you godliness godliness now if i haven't been excited i might get excited here what paul is referencing is the sanctification of believers sanctification is one of those big theological words that we use sanctification is really just the process of us becoming more and more godly right we we were created in the image of god sin marred the image of god jesus is restoring the image that we were meant to bear which is the image of god and so when when you see godliness that's what you should think about we were created to bear the image of god and we should we should in our lives bear the image of god when when the bible let me ask you this who was the man who walked on earth and perfectly bore the image of god Jesus. So really, when Paul talks about sanctification and Paul talks about godliness, what Paul is talking about is us becoming more and more like Jesus. We are more and more bearing the image of God, which Jesus did perfectly. We are more and more looking like Jesus. We grow in our sanctification throughout our life. We call that progressive sanctification. We are growing to be more and more like Jesus, more and more holy in our actions, more and more holy in our thoughts, more and more of who we are looks like Jesus. And listen to me, that includes obedience. I just want to make sure that we understand obedience is not a bad word, right? Because if we are godly and we look like God, he's told us, here's what it looks like to walk like me. Here's here's what it looks like to be like Jesus. People who are like Jesus do these things and they don't do those things. You know what that is? When we we do that, that's obedience. So I just want to make sure that we're on the same page. Obedience is not a bad thing. Obedience is a good thing. Here's where obedience becomes a bad thing. Obedience becomes a bad thing when we think that's how we, we get in right with God. 
There's only one way to get in right with God, and that is through Jesus the Son. Faith in Him. So, obedience, not a bad thing, but can be a bad thing. Uh, let me share with you here um, my, my testimony. B- because here is, here is, when I was 24 or 25, I grew up in church. Parents had me at church every time the doors were open. I am very thankful uh, of that. Um, growing up in church, great. It meant I had a lot of background. I had a lot of knowledge like we talked about earlier. Um, I gave a lot of mental assent to who Jesus was and to the stories of Jesus and to the gospel of Jesus. But I did not have faith. I did not trust in Jesus. I did not believe, I did not believe trusting in, in who he was and what he had done for me. I, di- I knew a lot about Jesus, but I did not know Jesus intimately or personally. Didn't. Then one day, by God's grace, I, I, I saw the beauty of Jesus, and I realized who he was, and I realized all that he had done for me on the cross. And in that moment, I believed. I believed. I was like, oh my goodness, like this is not just information, this is a real person who really did these things, who really loved me, who really lived and died and was raised for for me and for us. I believed, I trusted, and, and, and I fell in love with the gospel of Jesus, and then I wanted to please him, not a bad thing. I wanted to please him. What, what, what made it bad was I began to put my value in the things that I did and the things that I could accomplish in order to please him rather than my value being in Christ, right? And so I began to work, to do good works. Again, good works are not bad. It's the heart behind the good works. I wanted to do whatever it was that would earn favor with him so that he would say, man, you are awesome. Now listen to me, when he looks at you through the blood of Jesus, he says that about every one of you, you are awesome, that's the gospel. So, so I, I worked really, really hard. I told you all this a few weeks ago. I even remember one time saying, you know what, God, that's it. I'm sorry. I feel terrible about how bad I've been and about the sins in my life. I'm done sinning. I'm just not going to sin anymore. I meant it. Like, I was committed to this thing. I was not going to sin anymore. I was going to be holy and righteous. And when he looked at me, he would say, that guy is amazing. Look at how holy he is. If you all are wondering, it did not last very long. But here's the thing. Even in my failure, right, I failed. I failed. That's why we need Jesus, because we are failures. I failed. But then... I was like mad at myself and trying again. Dadgummit, I'm going to get it right this time. Can I say that in church? Dadgummit, I'm going to get it right this time. I, I am going to do it this time. I am not going to sin. And you know what? I failed again. And I failed again and I failed again and I failed again. And I'm telling you the truth, it led to despair for me. Tim Keller used to say often that when we are trying to achieve our own self-righteousness, when we are working to make ourselves righteous, that's what I was doing. I was working to make myself righteous. When we are working to make ourselves righteous, it always leads to one of two places. Either despair, because like me, you're a failure, and you get to the point where you look at other people and you say, my goodness, they are so much better than me. Why can't I be as good as them? Despair. Despair. Keith, you stink. You're a failure. Or it leads to self-righteousness. Self-righteousness because we look at the people around us and we say, y'all stink. You should be as good as I am. Always self-righteousness on our own part, that, that is where it leads to despair or to pride. So stop doing it. See, here's some good news for you. Um, good works are good and and I am all for work in and for the kingdom and for our king Jesus but your work will never accomplish righteousness or godliness do I need to say that louder your 
works of self-righteousness, as good as they may be, they will never, ever accomplish righteousness in the eyes of God for you. They will never make you holy. The only way for righteousness and holiness is through faith in the work that Jesus has done for you. Your work won't accomplish it. Your, 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 your work, righteous and, and holy, your, your righteous works, your holy works, the good works that you do. Listen to me. The ones that, that Larry preached about last week, those good works that, that James talks about, they are important in the life of the believer, but not to accomplish our righteousness, not to accomplish our holiness. They won't do that. They are the fruit of the faith that we have in Jesus. They are the fruit of your faith and your intimate and personal, relational knowledge of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. This is gospel fluency. This is gospel fluency. Listen, it, it is our faith in Jesus. It's our faith in the Father, in, in what he has done for us, in who he is. It's our faith there, particularly in the person and work of Jesus, that, that bears the fruit of righteousness and holiness. That, that's what Paul is saying here. L listen, what leads to godliness in your life, what leads to true godliness in your life, the life that looks like the life of Jesus, is not trying harder and doing more. It is faith. It is faith. It's belief. It's trusting in the deep and endless truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the fruit that that faith bears is the fruit of good works. The fruit that that faith bears is the fruit of godliness. I am writing to you, Paul says, I'm writing to you so that your, your faith, rightly rooted in, in, in knowing deeply the truth of the gospel, will lead to your godliness. Paul never tells them to try harder. Paul never tells them to, to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Paul never yells at them for not having enough discipline in their life, for not being strong enough. Do better, work harder. I am, I am writing to you so that your faith, rightly rooted in the beautiful news of the gospel, will lead to your godliness. Now, watch this. There is more of this believing and godliness. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect, and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness, listen, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. I am writing for the sake of your faith, your deep and intimate knowledge of the truth, the truth of the gospel, which leads to godliness in hope. In hope. Hope in the Bible means a confident expectation. With the confident expectation, Paul is saying, with the, the confident expectation of God's promise to you that this is not the end. But you have eternity with him. Eternity where all of this brokenness is fixed. Where all of these tears are erased. This is what it means to have hope in eternity with our Father. It is a belief and a trust that this is not it. There is more. And when we see him, when we see him, he will wipe away our tears, all erased. All of our hurts will be healed. That's what we were created for, and that is what is meant in eternity. This Paul says is the promise of God believe it know it deeply and intimately and personally believe it hope in it it is your confident expectation 
God has made this promise long ago in the ages, a a, a promise to send the one who would redeem you, who, who would fix your brokenness, who would save you from your sin. A promise made of one who would come to take away the sins of his people, to redeem them and make them children of God forever and ever and ever. And now, now, Paul says, he has made known these incredible and beautiful plans. He's made them known through through the preaching, Paul says, that he entrusted to me the preaching of the truth, of the beautiful news of the gospel. Stick with me. I want to help you grow in your faith in Jesus, Paul is saying. I want to help you know fully the depth of the riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to see you believe the promises that God has made you with a confident expectation in him because he is the God who never lies. And he will do everything that he said that he would do. I want to see this in the fruit that it bears as you you live in light of all of the truth and the beauty of the gospel. I want to see the fruit of your faith overflow in godliness as you grow more and more and more to look like Jesus. The Jesus you love and know. This, Paul says, is why I'm writing this letter. Grace, verse 4, grace and peace to you from God the Father. In Christ Jesus, our Savior. Everything that we, we, we see and talk about in this letter to Titus flows out of these first verses and this incredible desire that Paul has for the church of Crete. And, and really, it is, it is so much more than Paul's desire for Crete. This is God's desire for Crete. This is the Holy Spirit working through Paul, pinning these words to Crete. And and, and it's not just for the church in Crete, but but it is God's desire for the innumerable churches, too many to count, that have come after Crete. This is God's desire for you. Gosh, I hope you hear that. This is God's desire for you, that your faith in the gospel might grow more and more, that your knowledge of who Jesus is and what he has done might be rooted deeply, deeply in that gospel, and that that gospel would become yours, held personally and deeply and intimately for you, that you may know Jesus that way. You might have you, that you might have a confident expectation in in eternity and in all of the promises of God because our God never lies. He is faithful and true. Promises to be with you, promises to love you, to care for you, to shape you more and more into the image of his son. That grace and peace be yours. Man, isn't that beautiful? Y'all, that is the Christian life that we were meant for. Does that entice you? And it does me. that's That's what I want. Now, here's the thing for for you and for me. We will never find this on our own. You will not find this on your own. On your own, you are almost certainly going to forget at some point the beauty of the gospel. On your own, because of circumstances, you will begin to believe it's not true. Or that it does not apply to you. On your own, you will be much more likely. In in fact, I would say almost certain. On your own, on your own, you will be lured away from the truth of the gospel by a culture that opposes the gospel. Remember how earlier I went on and on about your being plural, y'all? We think singularly about ourselves, and so... We read this and we think, or, or you hear me preaching, and your first thought is just about you. 
God created us for this. Not for you to walk alone. God created us with a need for one another. It's just the way that we are created. Not to live life on our own. Not to try to do this walk with Christ by ourselves. He created us to do this together. The church. The church. His people. His people together. This is where we are meant to be. This is where the Christian life is meant to be lived out. Yes, we live it out in the world. We live it out here together. We live it out together in the church here. This is where we learn. This is, this is where others learn from us, is in the, in the gathering of God's people. This is, this is where, we, where we teach others. This is where we, where we warn one another that we are walking in a dangerous direction. This is, this is where we challenge one another. Listen, are you believing the gospel or are you believing Oprah? This is where we encourage one another. This is where we support one another. This is where we are brought back again and again and again and again and again to infinity, again and again and again to the beautiful truths of the gospel, to all of the promises of God. This is where we are reminded that he is faithful and true no matter what our circumstances are. This is where we are reminded that he is the God who never lies. Here we press one another to know Jesus fully and to believe with confidence together. Together we are shaped into the image of Jesus, our Savior. This is what we were meant for. It's a new year. It's a new year. Even if you don't do New Year's resolutions, I stopped those a long time ago because I failed so miserably. I love the new year because it is a reminder of a fresh start. It's a reminder of the grace of God. I, I have failed at many things. I've failed many times, and His loving kindness is new every day. The new year reminds me of that. The, the new year gives me a fresh start. And so, so, so here, here's what I'm saying. Let's, let's start fresh now. Let's start fresh together. Unbeliever, if you are here today and, and, and you have somehow made it here, maybe, maybe you're like me and you grew up knowing all sorts of things about Jesus but not really believing any of them. And today, today he is pursuing you. Today you have heard the beautiful news of the gospel, I, I believe. Today he is pursuing you. Believe. Believe this good news and, 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 and become a part of this family. Believe this good news. Be forgiven. Be redeemed. Be granted through your faith the, the, the very righteousness of Jesus. Be made a child of God today. You, too, can have the hope of eternity that I talked about. Believer, much the same for you. If you are here today, believe this good news. And listen to me. Be a part of this family. I'm going to say that again. You were created to be a part of the church, not a spectator. Be a part of the church. Be a part of the family. Don't be the child who only puts his dishes in the sink. Be the child that puts them in the dishwasher. Be the one who helps unload the dishwasher. Y'all know what I'm saying, don't you? Be a part of the family. 
Be a part of a missional community. Don't just go once a month and say, yes, that's my missional community. Now I understand sometimes you get sick, life is hard, being there is not always easy. I'm just saying be there. That at New City, our missional communities, like this is great. I love, I love you guys. Sunday mornings are great. But the one another's are lived out in our missional communities. We serve one another. We love one another. We care for one another. We admonish one another. We equip one another. All of that happens in a missional community. If you're not a part of a missional community, you are missing out on the life that God intended for you. I am not telling you this so that our missional communities grow. I am telling you this for your good. You were made for that. I want you to hear me on this as well. If New City is not your church, go back to your church and be a part of it. Participate in your church. And if you're a church hopper, stop hopping. It's time to settle into the family. This is what we were made for. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for the beautiful news of the gospel. I know what a failure I am. So maybe I appreciate the gospel more than most. Father, the things that we have talked about today, I pray for New City. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to grow. To grow in in our faith. To grow in our deep and intimate knowledge of the gospel. Ultimately, deep and intimately, a, a, a relationship with Jesus. To walk with him. Shape us more and more into his image. Make us the people that we are meant to be. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with communion as we do every week. We've got a couple of songs that we are going to sing. Um, and I, I would encourage you to take a minute and repent. Um, if there's anything the Holy Spirit has convicted you of in your life, misbelief, disbelief, sin in your life, not walking with Jesus, Repent, turn from that, turn to him. He is gracious, his loving kindness new. You get a fresh start today, just like me. And and when you have done that, I I invite you to the table. At New City, we practice open communion, and that means you don't have to be a member of New City to come to the table and celebrate Jesus. You just need to be somebody who loves and follows Jesus. So if that's you, repent, believe the good news of the gospel, and come. In communion, we are celebrating the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. All of the promises that are ours in him. The bread represents his body given for us. The juice represents his blood shed for us. In that, we have redemption of sin. We are made children of the Most High God. Come. We have individual communion packets. You're welcome to take one of those. We have bread and juice. Take the bread, dip it in the juice, and celebrate Jesus. We're also going to have members of our prayer team. They're going to wear, be wearing a green lanyard standing off to the sides. Uh, if you would like prayer, they would love to pray with you and for you this morning. Just find them. Uh, if you'd like to know more about what it means to love and follow Jesus, they'd love to talk with you about that as well. Stand, and when you're ready, come.